Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Yes, welcome back because we do this every week on this, the first Tunday of the month. Yay. I believe it's the first Tunday of the month. Isn't it? Is it the second Tunday of the month? Oh, for the love of Pete. (laughs) This is never mind. See, this is what happens when already. We're what? We're 17 days into the year. We've had two Tundays. No wonder January's hard. Right. Remember, if you if you never heard of a Tunday, this is when you merge Monday and Tuesday. Why? Well, we had Martin Luther King Jr. Day yesterday, and the stock market and bond market said, you know what we're going to do? Long weekend. Right? We're not going to come in on Monday. So now we get to cram five days of market activity into four. And so what does that mean for all of us at the office? Nothing. It just means we get back to work. Right. right? But that's how these Tuesdays go. It's like, wait a second. Now we got to figure out Tuesdays behaving like Monday. Why is that? Well, you know, we had an extra three days of data to price in at the open. Mm -hmm. And I am not terribly shocked to see we finished down slightly, although the NASDAQ finished up slightly. So uh, Dow and the S&P down a little bit. Actually, the Dow was the one that got hit the most. This kind of makes sense, by the way. It was down 1.14%. Reference Yahoo Finance if you want to see the numbers. Okay, uh, S&P was down 0.2%. NASDAQ up 0.14%. So here's the real question. Justin, why is the Dow getting beat up so much more than the NASDAQ and the S&P? Just theories, you know, you don't have to, nobody's right or wrong today. Just what do you think? Well, I think it was uh, Goldman Sachs had a bad earnings report, I believe. Okay. Is what kind of drug that down a little bit. Gotcha. So the old GS. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it it was shellacked today down uh, almost 6.5%. Oh, I didn't realize it's that much. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good beat down. Uh, stock that started the day at almost $375 and finished at just a shade under 350 mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd call that a pretty good ding. Um, what What is unique about the Dow 30, though, compared to the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ? Well, which I'm going off on, the S&P is market cap weighted, right? Right. And the Dow is price weighted. Correct. And so, and there's fewer positions. That's the there's real only magic, 30. right? There's yeah. only 30, so if one Instead of 30 of has a bad day, it's different yeah. than with one of 500 has a bad right. day. Yeah, it's that concentration factor in that index that really kind of claws it down. This also reinforces, at least early on, an interesting narrative. Maybe we talk about this today. The idea of what is a stock picker's market? Ooh. Right? I mean, what does that even mean? And why is this so relevant? Probably a personal pet of mine. Yeah. Right? And just because we try to be stock pickers at our firm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk today, I, I do this often, right? I'm going to kind of put that disclosure out. Today, we may talk about some stocks. We may mention specific names. Nothing is to be construed as an individual or personalized investment or a recommendation today. That's not what we're doing. But we're going to talk about some of these things, okay? And when we talk about stocks, stocks compared to what? Not stocks? No, no. I mean, because we're in the stock market. (laughs) Right. So stocks compared to what? Well, say cryptocurrency. 
Well, okay, or... sure. That's actually quite relevant. It wasn't what I was thinking, but it's totally relevant. Well, what were you thinking? Well, mutual funds. Mutual, okay. Right? So I'm thinking of, so, st- and and, cause, and you're like, wait a second. No, it's true. Mutual funds are full of stocks, right? Correct. But let's, let's think about the difference between indexing mm-hmm. and stock picking, okay? So first, what do I mean by indexing? And, well, usually an ETF or a mutual fund that mimics an index. So they have comparable weightings like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or the Dow even. Okay. So what's the advantage to an investor in an index fund? Or not necessarily advantage. What's the, what are some of the features that interest investors? How about we phrase it that way? You capture the whole market, I guess. Okay. Sure. This is, they're not trick questions. Right? I know. I, this is what happens when I don't prep Justin. Right. And I'm like, ha I probably should have told everybody too. Justin, thank you for joining me in studio today. Oh, yeah. You know who's not here? Matt. Matt. No, Justin's here. It's awesome. Matt, we're just teasing a little bit because he's like, I have a sniffle. I cannot come in. I'm like, <laughs> it's probably, he's, uh, this is, is it wrong of me to say I hope he's like spilling his guts out or something? Well, I'm not, I heard really, I'm not really wishing that he's <laughs> suffering, but I'm like, I hope you're really sick, Matt, not just shining the sun. I miss you, <laughs> But Matt. I hope you're not miserable. I wish you were here. Yeah, Justin loves the radio. Okay, so it, back to the whole idea of like why indexes, okay? It's the ability to – so one of the things that's hard is how do you pick winners and losers in the stock market? Right? It's, it's tough. Hard. It's tough because the market can be really fickle. Mm-hmm. And so one of the mechanisms that you can do is they talk about they, right? One of the strategies that uh, market professionals have talked about forever is, well, be diversified, mm-hmm. right? If you're diversified, I, and it's a simple analogy, right? Like if you only flip a coin one time, you get heads or tails. But yep. if you flip a coin a hundred times, you're going to get somewhere close to 50 heads and 50 tails, Okay. It's unlikely you're going to get 100 tails or 100 heads in a row. Not saying it's impossible. Improbable. Highly improbable. (laughs) That's a very astronomically challenging sequence of events that would occur. It's unlikely to happen. So, much like that in stocks, it's unlikely that if you pick 100 stocks that they all fall at the same time. They're all tails. Right. Okay? So, we diversify. And then we talk about you know correlation and other things to improve the quality of your diversification, okay? But one of the things an index does is it instantly diversifies you, right? Right, because you can buy one index fund, and let's say we're talking about here's a fun one, the Wilshire Five Thousand. Well, how many positions do you think you're getting? Five thousand. Right. Well, I guess. Here's the fun one, the S and P Five Hundred. How many positions are you getting? Five hundred. Ha! Like five hundred and four. Oh. I know it's a funny because there's a few that float in there when there's change in between quarters. Oh, okay. So before they do the rebalance, sometimes it'll get up to like uh, 505. But yeah, it's call it 500 positions. Right? 500 largest companies, cap weighted index. That's mm-hmm. a funny one too, by the way, because what it says is the bigger the company, the higher the weighting in the index. Right. So Apple, biggest company yeah. on the planet, I think maybe Microsoft. They trade back and forth a little, mm-hmm. but then that would be the biggest weighting in the S&P 500. Right? And I think Tesla was. Tesla was top four. I think it was like Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, and Amazon. Mm -hmm. And then you had like rounding out the top, you had like Facebook and Google and a Mm -hmm. couple others in there. 
I guess Facebook's meta now. I still have trouble saying that. It's like it's still Facebook, whatever. Uh, the the point being, though, that you know you cap weighted index based on size, dollar weighted. Yeah, I don't think our listeners care. But an index is automatically diversified. What this does is it sort of gets you out of the decision-making factor of which stock to pick. Right. Right? Just get them all. Mm-hmm. Right? And let the market sort it out. So, yeah, you buy a whole category. And there are lots of different categories, by the way. One thing that the market's clever at is producing new ways to entice you to spend your money. Okay. Right? Like, think that went through for a second. Markets are very good at developing instruments to allow you to invest the way it's interesting to you. Okay, so you want to talk about um, how markets, like, like you want to just invest in international, you want to invest in small companies, mid-sized companies, tech companies, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You, you can do it. Yeah. Through an index, too. That's the crazy thing. Like You just want to go buy small cap tech stocks, indexes for that stuff. Mm-hmm. It can happen. We we have, oh we have a guest. Oh really? I, why? No, I'm. We're totally live right now. We just had somebody <laughs> walk in studio. Sorry for the distraction, gang. Um, you know what we'll do? Because this totally just slammed us. We're gonna grab a break, and when we come back, we'll reboot. So stick around, and we'll regroup and figure out what we're doing. Until then. Um, you've been listening to True Wall Show. I'm Dave Littlejohn. I'm Justin Bergerman. And you're on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. <laughs> All right, we're regrouping. Welcome back <laughs> to the True Wall Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Justin Bergerman. And uh, yeah, the the signal is you don't have to be wearing the headphones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, we got some promos to record later, uh, it, which is pretty fun. So anyway, special announcements coming out in the paper here shortly, and we're excited to, to share that. But uh, in the, the meantime, we were talking oh, – I'm going to try to piece this back together. So stock pickers market, mm-hmm. and then we were talking about index funds. Correct. And mutual funds are another way to do this in, in different ways, right? Because mutual funds are trying to, in some cases, actively pick – stocks that they think will produce superior results right? right so there is stock picking in mutual funds too uh but we're, we're just covering this category like understand what is a, wh- why these funds or you sometimes you're say exchange traded fund like justin can you walk through for our listeners what makes an exchange traded fund kind of interesting compared to a mutual fund because you can it targets a segment of the market but it's actively traded during the day instead of like a mutual fund that when you purchase it has to settle at the end of the day before you actually get a price the next day pretty much yeah funds are really interesting because you don't actually go to like the new york stock exchange and buy a mutual fund right you go to the mutual fund company and they take your money and then they invest it for you, and then they register how many shares you have in the different investments in the funds, and they all have ticker symbols to reference which funds you own. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, they're similar to stocks. Where they're different is you can get fractions of a mutual fund. Right. So you can have you can have a part of a share. Uh, I realize that there are some brokerages now that will allow you to do fractions of a stock, but that's actually not the same thing. 
you own a fraction of a stock, you don't really own the stock. You own something representing the value of the stock. Because if you only own a fraction of a share, you can't vote. Right? You don't get a fraction of a vote. Uh-huh. So you don't really own a fraction of a stock. Right? So so you're you have a representation of it because they are aggregating your accounts with others and enabling you to sort of split shares with other people in order to have that value represented in your account. But mutual funds you give the fund company the money they give you your proportionate ownership tracking and when you want the money back out you have to go back to the fund company and they redeem it and when do they do it in the still of the night right no that's actually not creepy why 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 do i say in the still of the night because everything has to settle and they got to do all their Right, balancing and bookkeeping. Can you imagine trying to do record keeping on a mutual fund in real time while the market was moving? Yeah, no thanks. Right, I mean that would be an accounting feat that was worthy of praise. Yes. So you wait until the market stops trading, and then everybody pauses for a little while, and all the computers do their thing, and you settle up. Right, Mm -hmm. the money that came in, the money that goes out, how much of each happened, how many shares do we need to sell or buy to keep our fund in alignment, and then all of that stuff has to occur. So you don't get the intraday price of the market moving around. Right. You get the end of the day closing value that represents the final pricing for the day. So mutual funds price once per day. Mm -hmm. How do you, like if you wanna buy a fund, you could put in an order right at the open of the market. Mm-hmm. It will sit in stasis. It will be in a holding pattern until the market closes, and then it will execute after the market closes that day. Correct. How's an exchange-traded fund different? Well, as long as the market's open, it'll execute instantaneously. Yeah, more or less. It's exactly like it sounds. Yes, it's a fund. It's a diversified basket of securities. Mm-hmm. And it trades as a basket. So you're not trading an individual stock inside of it. You trade the whole basket. But it trades like a stock on an exchange. Now, this is this is a double-edged sword, right? Because it moves with the markets. Right. And markets swing up and down in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. But you can also treat it like a stock in some respects. So mm-hmm. you can put order parameters on right right you're not at the mercy of the fund company to tell you the price you can select the price you're willing to buy or sell a fund mm-hmm. an exchange traded fund that is yes so they're interesting right and they're kind of a hybrid because you're buying a block or a basket or a category of diversified investment so go through all that to talk about the not diversified investments. Okay. This is, what if you wanted to build your own mutual fund? Mm-hmm. Now we're entering into the game of picking your own investments. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is what is talked about when we talk about stock pickers market, why we care, right? In theory, it's always a stock pickers market. Right. Right. Okay. I mean, if you could pick the winner, you're going to make more money. Yes. More risk, more reward. Concentration is part of risk, right? Diversification is spreading your risk out. Concentration mm-hmm. is the opposite. If you could pick the one stock that goes to the moon, right? How many people became Bitcoin millionaires and then be- unbecame Bitcoin millionaires? <laughs> Temporarily. Right? right? It did happen with some folks. Mm-hmm. 
and they just bought in early when it was really cheap. I mean, I kick myself. I remember when Bitcoin was under eighteen dollars. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was like three dollars and fifty cents. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to buy it. Still don't really know how to buy it. I mean, it's a weird process. Yeah, I could go get it, but I'm not interested, right? Mm -hmm. For a lot of reasons, okay? For a lot of reasons. But the point of the stock picker's market phraseology, I think that has some merit because it suggests that there might be some challenges in the current market landscape. And I think today's market showed us some of that, right? When we look at the Dow that's down more than the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, which were relatively flat between the two indexes. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the Dow and it's down over 1%. There's concentration risk in the Dow. Right. Goldman Sachs, we discussed, was kind of the major contributor to the downside today. But then you get into the NASDAQ and you look at some of the holdings in the NASDAQ that were up. And then there's something like everybody's been picking on it, but you know what had a really good day today? Tesla, mm-hmm. up almost 8% today, back over $130 a share. Remember that traded down to like 109 or 107 yes. at the low point. So pretty good move off of the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, in a stock picker's market, you're rewarded for picking the winning stocks while you are not rewarded to the same extent for trying to pick diversified blocks of investments. It suggests that we're in an environment where the tide is not going to raise everything, right? Right. Because that's kind of easy. Like if you just, if the market's going up, get in the boat. Right. The tide will rise. If the tide is going out, the boat will fall. Mm -hmm. What about right now where the tide is neither rising nor falling and yet there's chop all around us? That is the idea behind a stock picker's market. So, again, we're not here to suggest that this is your time to do this uh, or that we know how you should personally invest. Like, well, you you, you tell you what, you you see us after class. Right. right? That's how you do it. If you want personal advice, yeah, we do that all the time. Just not on the radio because rules and lawyers. Mm -hmm. So, there you have it. Stock picker's market is our concept. Now, Let's say you're one of those people out there trying to make heads or tails of what's going on. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that investors may want to consider in a stock picker's market. Okay? okay. So a couple of things. Uh, let's, let's start now. It's hard to not do this without sounding like advice. Right, it is. So, so I'm going to be very careful about this. You're going to have a lot of disclaimers. But I'll tell you something that I think is going to be really interesting looking forward. And we can just look at the economic landscape here. And I remember early in my career having another advisor say this, and it just stuck with me forever. And he said, it's tough to fake cash. Okay. Okay. And what, what they were speaking about in this case was companies that pay dividends. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, not suggesting that that's what you need to do, but consider the economic backdrop. Okay. Now, I'm going to walk you through a little bit of logic around growth versus value. If, if like maybe we should, this is kind of the next chapter in stock pickers market, mm-hmm. right? The idea of factor based investing. Okay. Less fancy than it sounds. Factor based 
is typically they talk about, well, how many factors are in your model? And you hear like there's three-factor model or there's a six-factor model and there's different numbers of factors. But at a basic level, you have the factors of growth, book market to value, and market capitalization. Okay, that's a basic three-factor model. So what does that say? How big or small is the company? Right. How much is the company, like what's its, it's not so much, it's, it is its rate of growth, right? It's, it's how much is it reinvesting in growth is what is that really what that is. And then the last one is, what's the share value of the company compared to the book value mm -hmm. of the shares? That's like if you were going to sell off all the parts of the right. company. Okay. okay. What do these three things kind of tell us? Right. First of all, let's talk about market cap. What does market capitalization tell us, Justin? Well, how big, I guess I would say, how much money are willing to pay for the company? Right. It's, it's what the shareholders have assessed right. the total value at. Right. Because if you have a million shares outstanding and you have it's $100 a share, you have a $100 million company. Right. You know, if you have a 10 million shares outstanding and $100 a share, $10 million company. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, we have companies now that are measured in the billions or even trillions mm -hmm. of dollars. Crazy to think that you can have a trillion dollar market cap, but you can. And, and market capitalization, just number of shares outstanding times the price per share. Right. Okay. So that's a simple factor, size. What do you think's riskier, big companies or small companies? Riskier is in? More likely to fail. Small companies. Yeah. I mean, that's the logical and reasonable thing to conclude, right. right? And so what you would expect then is if you take on more risk, you would receive greater reward over time as an investor, which should imply that smaller capitalization stocks should outperform large capitalization stocks over time. <laughs> and there's a lot of studies that indicate that. But they do so with heightened volatility. And a newsflash hint into later in the show some of that's been screwed up because of the acquisition game that is now yeah. played. Like yeah. a lot of small companies don't exist for very long because the big companies don't know how to provide new value. So they just gobble up the growing right. companies, massive cash stores. And like, you know what we need to do? Acquire. Yeah. So they just buy their innovation because they can't produce as much any longer at their size. So that's real common. Now, there's two more on this list, right? Not just market capitalization. One of them is book value versus share value. This is what commonly gets wrapped up in the air quotes, but value category. Mm -hmm. We've talked about growth and value. Okay, so what's it really suggesting to us? Okay, if you looked at the book value of a company, again, think about it as if we just added up all the stuff the company owned, all their real estate, all the office chairs and curtains and you know staplers and everything, and, and then we looked at what the stock was trading for, if the price of all the stuff is above the share price, then mm -hmm. it tells us something is distressed. Right. Right? Wait a second. Why is the company selling for less than its book value per share? Well, the market assumes that something is not right. Okay? okay. So deep value companies like that tend to be interesting to investors because either they're turnaround stories or they're go out of business stories. Mm -hmm. Okay? So company that has a really low book book to market value would be considered higher risk 
right? Which was why historically deep value stocks, if they survive, you'd expect them to pay you more than more of a blue chip stable value right. stock. Okay. The last factor that we'll talk about is growth factor, which is just if the company's earning a bunch of money and it's reinvesting in more growth, is it successfully buying more growth? Right? So the faster the rate of growth or the acceleration of growth mm -hmm. through reinvestment, the more attractive the investment. This is why some investors will insist that you can buy a company, even like, like Amazon. You could invest in Amazon. Tesla was another great example. Mm -hmm. Buy Tesla even though they weren't even making profits yet. Right. Because the, the, they were growing revenue so rapidly that they were on a pace to achieve profits. Mm -hmm. And Amazon, sort of similar argument is, well, it's going to get to profitability. Okay, so people keep investing in it, expecting it to continue to grow and expand and grow into its value. Mm -hmm. So there's your three factors. Okay, now we've talked a little bit about it, investing in indexes and so forth, and then we've talked about this three-factor concept, and we've we've talked about a stock picker's market. How do we start to put all of that together as investors and do something with it? This is KQAM. Exactly. We do. No, we take. We play the music. No, it's okay. We're gonna take the break, and when we come back, we'll unpack that a little bit. So, see, this is fun when we can't see the engineer in the studio next door. But we're on it. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Justin Bergman. You're listening to the True Wall on News Radio 93.9 FM at 12:40 KQAM. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, Dave Littlejohn in studio with. Justin Bruggeman. And, you know, normally I plug the podcast. I guess it's a really half-hearted podcast plug today. It feels like the show's all over the board. And um, I got a little bit of head cold. My brain just feels swimmy today. Do you ever have those days where you just don't feel as sharp? It kind of feels like how the day's going. It's just oh, kind of all over the place. It's been, uh, yeah, definitely a ton day, as you know. But if you want to get caught up on the podcast, we're talking about the concept of a stock picker's market. And so probably beat that horse uh, way too hard in the last couple of segments. So going to lighten up a little bit. The goal here would be just to try to keep this um, sort of interesting for everybody out there, especially there, there are a bunch of you that are DIY types, right? Mm -hmm. Now, some of you listening, you've got other advisors, and that's cool. Some of you don't, and you're wondering, should I have an advisor? And the answer is, yeah, you should call us. Um, that's a shameless plug at 541-375-0898. But I'll make that plug because I can do that. The The rest of you, though, that are listening is like, well, what are we supposed to do with this? Okay. And here's here's my philosophy. I don't need to hide things from our listeners. Right? You guys are smart. The people that we help, they run out of time in their lives. Mm -hmm. That's why. Or they just don't want to do this. There are other things that are a bigger priority to them. Whether it's more time with the grandkids or fishing or whatever it is, they don't want to do what we do. So we partner to help. But if you're still in that mode of like, no, I want to learn and I want to do stuff, I'm going to try to give you some nuggets today to learn with, right? It's not advice about what to buy or when to buy, but rather how to analyze some of these things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first let's talk about a concept that I like to call, if you can't beat them, join them. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're over there smiling. Why are you smiling, Justin? Just, yeah, it's, it's one of those that's 
it's one of those like going back to like the Tesla conversation. I fought Tesla for years, three or four years. Can't do it. Can't do it. And it was finally at the point. I was like, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. Let's just go. So, and it's, it's funny. This is where a lot of people's minds goes to like, I, I, I was thinking about this in a little different context, but the reason this is fun is since Justin and I, you bring different like angles uh, for problem solving. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I appreciate. So we've talked about this before, but Justin's on my team, right? So when we are doing financial planning or we're doing investment analysis, you get more than one angle right. when you're viewing it. Like this this is good when, uh, you know, like the line judge is out of position. So you got to call, call the umpire in too. And then you need the instant replay, right? right. Well, uh I think about if you can't beat them, join them in terms of not like, gosh, you know, I keep thinking Tesla's not going to turn out and then it does. So I guess I better go buy it. Yeah, you can do that if it finally meets the criteria that, you know, meet your investment mm-hmm. that you set for investing. I was thinking about it. So like, here's a, here's a real world example. Trying to go and invest in Chinese stocks for me. Look, I don't speak Chinese. Right. They do not use uh, generally accepted accounting principles or gap accounting for the way they report. They operate in a different time zone on a different currency. And there are all kinds of politics and other, uh, you know, elements at play that I don't understand the nuances of. So there are times when I cannot produce a superior result as an investor than simply getting into an index fund or a specialty investment fund where I'm hiring a team of managers. And this is where a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund may make a ton of sense. Right. Because, and again, not recommending, I'm just telling you, there are times when it's outside of my scope and I just have to acknowledge like, you know what? That's outside of scope. I don't go play there. Right. Like, I don't try to underwrite my own individual bonds, right? Mm -hmm. I don't go in there and second guess and go, well, let me look at the cash flow of the company and decide whether or not they're credit worthy and I'm going to loan them money. I don't underwrite that loan. I'll let somebody else underwrite that loan if we want to go play in that area of the market at all. Mm -hmm. Because there's only so many hours in a day, so you have to pick and choose where you can really add value as an investor, okay? Where we will play in this pool is things like domestic companies, mm-hmm. right? In the U.S. market, we see these companies all the time. They use standardized, publicly available reporting for all the different financials that are involved. There's dozens of analysts following these companies from respected organizations where you can at least get insight and opinion, even if you disagree with them, right? right? And the other is because if there's not a significant difference in performance between a mutual fund and what I can produce, and I say I, me, our team within our with our uh, firm, well, then what if we can avoid paying the third party? Right. We could simply eliminate that additional layer of cost that the investor experiences. Well, then we perceive that as a net benefit to our customers. Because mm-hmm. yes, you may be paying us, but you're not paying us plus a third party on top of us. Right. And that in turn is savings that gets passed on to the customer, okay? So if you are doing it yourself, you don't have to worry about the cost of an advisor, okay? Mm -hmm. 
which, if the advisor does their job well, I still maintain isn't a cost. They should pay for themselves and what they produce, not just in performance, but in mistake avoidance right. and tax savings and so forth. But, you know, pay attention to cost. But here's, the, here's another one, right? In, in align with the rules of if you can't beat them, join them. Another one is it's the bottom line, not just the operating expense that matters. Right. Okay. Okay. And that one I know you've run into before, mm-hmm. right? Especially because mutual funds, they you know how do they report a mutual fund, right? I mean the well, performance is the performance, right? Yeah. I mean you can, you break yes. it down, yeah. Right. I mean you can see all the fees inside of it, and uh, there's one thing mutual funds can't report well, right? And it's trading costs. Mm-hmm. It's hard to report trading costs because you don't know them in advance. Right. But you can report operating expenses and what the expense ratio is of a fund and so forth. And you can see all those variables. Mm-hmm. And there are studies that indicate that, one, all other things created equal. The lower operating cost fund will put more money in your pocket if everything else is created equal. Mm-hmm. And, two, over time, there's not a significant correlation between fund cost and performance other than really expensive funds tend to underperform over time. Right. Okay, but there is not a magic formula that says buying the lowest cost fund performs the best. I think this is a little, it falls a little bit into the, uh, I'm inventing a new term here, but it's kind of the Vanguard fallacy. Okay. Right? I mean, Vanguard's a great company. They, mm-hmm. I mean, they provide fantastic investment tools and I'm not trashing them in, in any way. But there are people that have been coached into the idea that the only thing that matters is the expense ratio on your fund. Right. And it should be as low as possible, to which I say, again, investment performance in mutual funds is reported after fees. Right. So, you know, if one fund makes 10% and the other fund makes 10%, your operating expense isn't terribly relevant. Other right. than, well, if they'd have charged you less, you could have kept more in your pocket. But the return is the return. So I think that's probably something that investors should pay attention to. Uh why am I talking so much more about funds than individual stocks? I'm not sure. <laughs> huh? I said I'm not sure. It's I think for the average investor it's easier. Okay. Yeah. Right? That makes I, sense. I, I do. I think that generally speaking, trying to pick individual stocks, it's to, it's it's doable, but very few people that I know invest in individual stocks. They tend to want to trade them. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a lot mutual funds tend to be boring. And they tend to discourage you from trading them. There right. are penalties or they'll kick yes. you out if you trade them. So they tend to become holding vehicles where you mm-hmm. buy something and you just kind of put a little each month and away you go. And they're built really well to do that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That works. The, the, the old school process of just consistently investing over time and allowing interest to compound, very effective. But for the stock picker out there, well, again, for the, the 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 danger of the stock picking is that you stop being a stock investor, you start becoming a stock trader. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that on this program many times. I don't need to really beat that point in the ground. Just to be aware that you want to know in advance. So this is this is another one, uh, which is if you you know if you can't beat them, join them. And then the other one is it's the bottom line. Not the, the bottom line is the most important line. Right. Right. And then, um, oh, heavens, I was going to forget my other points now because I'm so busy making the points. Uh, This is what you get when you have that kind of day. Um, 
there's, well, I, it was the know your rules of engagement before you get started. Right. Okay. That's really what the third one I'm thinking of because you don't want to uh, find yourself coaxed into trading when you were intending to be an investor. Right. Okay. Like your, your time horizon becomes shortened to, mm -hmm. I need to start getting active. I need to do something. Uh, that is probably an, uh, it's a, it's a curse to people that look at their accounts all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, great. I keep looking at this thing. Now I have to, you know, I have to touch it. It's right. like, you know, I feel like it's trying to cook a meringue or something. Don't touch it. You'll break it. <laughs> Just leave it alone. Anyway. All right. Look, we're running long. Let's do this. We'll grab our final break. When we come back, we'll wrap up on a couple ideas and everybody's favorite part of the show, or at least ours, and we're telling you it should be one of your favorites. Financial terms. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Brugman. We got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Justin Brugman. Justin, um, as we are trying to kind of lay out a few things, I guess for the person that is sort of on the fence, let's say that you've got a DIY investor that's really been struggling over this 2022 in particular. What are some things that you might uh, offer to them either by way of um, consoling them or advising them on just what do you do after a year like 2022? I would honestly is be patient. I mean, you have a year of such heightened volatility. It doesn't necessarily determine what's going to happen long term, I guess you could say. And also is that if you have a loser, come back to it. Okay. So what does that mean? Like, can you unpack that for I me just a little bit more? It's, you have a loser, come back to it. It's one of those that, especially depending on the type of investment, is if it's just continuing going down and going down, it's just frustrating you. Abandon it. And then come back to it later, which I mean, what that time frame is, is, well, I don't know, six weeks, four weeks, is come back to it and then reevaluate it with a fresh kind of mind rather so than just... Do you do you sell it first? Or what? I mean, you just saying, like, just stop opening your statements for a while? What are you thinking? Well, sell I'm, it. Maybe, okay. depending. Just sell it. Well, it depends. I mean, if it's on a tax advantage account, sell it. Lost. Yeah, tax advantage, tax. meaning it won't impact your account right. and, cha and create a capital gain or right. loss. And so, and then <clears throat> come back to it when you can reevaluate it with a fresh mind, because you can kind of get anchoring bias to it as I committed to it. I'm going to just ride this thing to the ground. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. I may have done that on a stock or two in my career. I may know what it is, but. Yeah, more than one. So here's the funny thing about that too, right? Uh, first and foremost, if you're going to buy individual stocks as opposed to funds, you just have to be aware that the game looks different. Mm -hmm. One, it's much easier to find yourself with concentration risk, mm -hmm. okay? You own 20 stocks at 5% each and you have a stock go down 10%, you're going to notice it. Right, it's going to stick out. Right, and the question is, how do you handle a stock that is misbehaving? I'm just going to call it that. Uh, what happens when you have a, a good stock that is in a bad streak? <laughs> <It> was, 
Wiggly's is a flavor. It has a stank for a while. <laughs> He's a, well, that's that's an internal <laughs> yeah. uh, joke. We we kind of have a funny rule again, not a recommendation, but we have a rule that if we see a stock that really gets beat up in short order, beat up to us is like a 15, 20% knockdown in a couple of three days. Like in mm. one week, the, the price changes that much. Generally speaking, something broke with the company. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just an earnings miss, typically. If it was, it was a big earnings miss with an earnings guide that there's problems. And it says, this stock is a problem. And really, we just don't want to own it for at least a quarter because we want to see new data come out and we want to see if market sentiment is going to change. So that is an internal process for us. But it's also why we stay diversified, right? If you have 20 or 30 stocks and one of them misbehaves, if you consider the math on this, let's just keep the numbers easy, 20 stocks, mm-hmm. one of them loses half of its value, right? You've lost 1 20th of your portfolio. It's a 50% loss in that stock, but it's a 5% loss in your strategy. I'm sorry, it's a half a yeah. percent loss, right? You're 50% loss on a 5% position is 2.5% on this. So there you go. It's not catastrophic because you're diversified. Mm-hmm. Flip side is you have a really big winner and it can carry the day. So there, there's still method to the madness, right? Uh, but, but you need to choose your your stocks appropriately, right? The same way mutual funds are attempting to do so. Your, and, win, your winners need to beat the losers. Yeah. But this whole, like, if something's giving you a hard time, walk away from it. Yeah, I think once you're emotionally compromised in your analysis, mm-hmm. you're pretty much in a problem zone. And so if you're emotionally compromised because you just really wanted to do something, or, oh, it's going to come back. Yeah, you're now hoping on that investment rather than analyzing. That's a bad spot. So I, I definitely agree that you, you need to check your emotions at the door. And that's why I'm such a big fan of set the rules up in advance. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I keep saying that, but what does it mean? Just know what you're going to do before you go execute on it so that if these events occur afterwards, you go, well, at least I'm consistent. If you're consistent, you can then learn. If you're inconsistent, everything's a guess. And how do you learn from that? Mm-hmm. Right? There's no way to to evaluate what you did because like, well, it just seemed like the right thing at the time. Great. So you relied on your emotions and your instincts. How are you going to reproduce that? I mean, even worse, what if it works? How can you do it twice? (laughs) So yeah, I I am just not a fan. So go in with the plan. Okay. And if you don't have a plan, you need to make a plan, find somebody that can help you make a plan. Some rules of engagement. Rules of engagement. And and the, the last thought is, uh, you know, you can have paralysis analysis. If you can't make the decision, you can't make the call, and you just find yourself staring and not taking action, it's a separate problem altogether. Right. So, all right, let's get to the favorite part of the show, Justin. Okay. We just got a minute or two left. Our favorite financial terms shortly to be published on the webpage as we begin to build out our glossary. Remember, financial terms should sound like real terms. You may submit these to us and if and try to get them on the air, and then you're going to get published in our webpage, right? So today, we're going to start with, oh, here's a fun one. Justin, what is kleptocurrency? The sudden, the urge to have to buy it because everybody else is doing it, even though you don't really need it or want it. Ah, okay. And I get to do the same. I'm going to say kleptocurrency because klepto is what? That's a like a theft, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking to me, kleptocurrency is um, any kind of uh, like 
cryptocurrency that was acquired through hacking somebody else. That's cleptocurrency. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here is another fun one. Garbitrage. Garbitrage. <laughs> the Garbitrage. The consistent failure of picking bad investments. Consistent failure picking bad investments. Okay, garbitrage. Sounds like an arbitrage. Um, I still think garbitrage, if I'm looking at it, I'm going to say... Mm, this is when you are you sneak a bag of trash in your neighbor's trash can because yours is full. <laughs> that is garbage. <laughs> and if we're doing it in in the financial space, then I will give it a a third definition now. So we got yours mind, but then I would say garbage is when you mistakenly invert uh, a loan, and so you borrow money at a high rate and invest back into a lower rate. <laughs> So that is garbage. <laughs> okay. That and with great. that, we come to the end of our show. So look, if you've had fun today, uh, what I would encourage you to do is check out the podcast. we got a bunch of them in the background. And you can also reach our office if you need any personal financial advice. I know we disclosed a lot, but for individuals, we're happy to help. Zero obligation or cost for a consult. Justin, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right. And remember, you can email to info at littlejohnfs.com for more financial term ideas or if you need additional information. So check out the webpage at littlejohnfs.com. Until then, we are out of here. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Brugman. You've been listening to The True Wealth on this station. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brooks Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.